in the first reading this morning. The people of Israel come to David asking that he would be their king. And we read a short little piece of it from the second book of Samuel. But it's really beautiful because the thing that's really important to notice is the people go to him. They seek him out. Saul has been removed as king of Israel and they know that the Lord has already pointed to David but the people come and they basically say we want you to rule over us we are your own flesh and bone we want you to be our king and then David yields and, and agrees to that and then the people anoint him as king so that's really significant. Now, look at the gospel that we just heard. Jesus is on the cross and he's reigning as king even though the people and the religious leaders and the soldiers, they're mocking him, saying there's hardly a king here. If he were, if he were a king, he would save himself. But then there is the repentant thief who makes this plea. Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He makes the request, Lord, I, I, I want in, in some way to be remembered by you and I want to have some share in your kingdom. That, that beautiful phrase that we know so well. But he takes the initiative. Like the people who came to David and said, we want you to be our king here the repentant thief says, Lord, I want you to remember me in your kingdom. This part of the first and second reading, or the first reading the gospel, those two things, these are really, really huge. When we think about earthly kingship, like you think about all the great kingdoms that the world has known historically. Like you can go as far back as the Babylonians, the Persians, the kingdom of the Greeks, and then certainly with the Roman Empire. Those kingdoms establish themselves by forcing their rule and the rule of their king on foreign peoples, and it often happened, you know, we know by, by war and by conquering them physically. That's the earthly way that we're just used to kingship working. So this is why I want you to notice how different it is in the readings today. The people going to David, who of course prefigures Christ the King. Jesus himself said of David, he made the promise that in my covenant that I'm making with you, your throne shall endure forever. And among your own descendants, I will raise up a, a savior whose kingdom will never end. So David prefigures Christ the King. So the people going to David and saying, we want you to be king. And then the repentant thief saying, I want you to remember me in your kingdom. This is a total reversal of what we're used to in kingship. But these two aspects of the readings today, they get to what is an essential component and, and really the heart of what we're celebrating as a church. Christ our king, his kingdom he will never ever force himself upon us. 
he will not do it. He'll never do that because what we're talking about ultimately is a kingdom of love. And so this is one dimension that we've got to understand from this feast and from the readings today. There is deliberately left a place, a role for you and I to say to the Lord Jesus, I want you as king of my life. And in fact, it's an utterly essential component. It's not just kind of a nice thing that the Lord gives us a part to play in it. We must have that role because when we're talking about a relationship that's ultimately one of love, he's not going to force himself into our life and subdue us and against our will ask us to be in a relationship with him. That's why this dimension of the readings I pulled out is so important. We were made with a freedom that is supposed to lead us to making that cry out to the Lord and to say, Lord, I, I want you as king of my life. I'm making a decision to, to have you in my life to rule over me in your goodness and in your love. I want you to be king. The parallel is what all of you who are married experienced with marriage. A, a couple could choose to live together, but how different it is when they make a commitment to one another. There's a huge difference between the convenience of, of living together and actually making a, a definitive public commitment. I take you as my wife. I take you as my husband. The dynamic that you have in marriage points to what we're talking about here. And it's the way that it has to work. Here's from one of the, the writings in, in, the, in the church that, that points to this in a really succinct way. Talking about the kind of relationship that we're meant to have with Jesus and the conversion that we're meant to experience, listen to this. Conversion is the acceptance of a personal relationship with Christ, a sincere adherence to him, and a willingness to conform one's life to his. Conversion to Christ involves making a genuine commitment to him and a personal decision to follow him as his disciple. Some of you might be thinking, Father, that doesn't sound Catholic. Uh, it, it's very deeply Catholic. The problem is, is that most of us were not brought up in a way where we heard this. I certainly wasn't. My faith growing up was very passive. I thought that the fact that my parents chose to have me baptized and kind of you know, got me into the confirmation class and all of that, I, I thought that's what it was all about. It was only later, I've shared this with you, but when my own conversion unfolded at the end of college, it was only then that, that I had people telling me, Eric, this is not about what your parents want for you. This is about you having the, the freedom and the dignity to be able to, to make a choice for him. I never knew that growing up. I really didn't. I, it was never put out to me, I guess, in a way that was clear enough that I understood that faith was meant to be something more than passive. And that's what I love about the readings today. The people go to Hebron, where, where David was before, 
before taking up his kingship in Jerusalem, the people go to him and they say to him, we want you as our king. There's nothing passive about it. The repentant thief on the cross, he is also not passive. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That, that's the element that I think the Lord wants us to really see and focus on today. And so, I put that out to you. Um, has there been a moment, and there's never, it's never just one time, like a marriage, you, you have to keep going back and you have to keep renewing your commitment and your covenant, but has there been even that one first definitive moment in your relationship with God where you have done what, what this beautiful line from the church talks about. Our conversion to Christ involves making a genuine commitment to Him and a personal decision to follow Him as a disciple. Have you done that? Has there been a moment when in, in your heart, just in your own words, you've said, Lord, I want this. I've shared with you when it, that came for me, uh, about three months into that, that really dramatic moment when the, the priest uh, at St. Mark's in Catonsville just very boldly stepped kind of into my life and invited me to get involved with young adults helping with youth ministry. It was three months after that when the, the reality of this really finally hit home and I sat on the edge of my bed on a Sunday night in October of 1991. And I said, Lord, I'm, I, I want this. I'm afraid to do it because I, I don't know exactly what it's gonna mean. And I'm afraid that in giving you my yes, I, I'm still too easily just gonna keep finding my way back to sin. But I, I want this and I know that you want it of me. And, and on that night, that's and just in my own words, I said, Lord, I, I wanna get off the fence and, and I, I, I want you to be the Lord and the Savior, the King, using today's feast of my life. Now, it, that has to be renewed, and it has been, over and over and over again in my own life. But has that moment come for you? If not, then I, I, I urge you, encourage you, plead with you to do what the people did in the first reading, to do what the good repentant thief did, to not be passive, but to let the Lord move your heart in such a way that, that you are ready to make that personal commitment, that decision to him. Here's the really amazing thing, is, is that even as the Lord leaves room for us to play this role, which is critical, it is always still ultimately a kingdom and a kingship of grace. How else could it be that this repentant thief in the gospel, like we have no idea what his life looked like. All we know is where it ended. And it was not ending in a good way. A crime so severe that it was deemed worthy of crucifixion. But the kingship of the Lord and his kingdom could only be a kingdom of grace in that it allows a man in his dying breath to make a cry out to the Lord and to receive the promise. Amen, I say to you today, you will be with me 
in paradise. Grace is God's unmerited favor. And although it leaves a, a, a place for us to say, Lord, I need you and want you as my king, and that part will never go away, even more than that, it's a kingdom of grace. Because I could never say I deserve it. I could never say I earn it. I, in my own way, am like the repentant thief. Lord, I'm crying out to you, and I can't say that I've been good enough that I can just lay claim to it. All I can say is, if you love me this much, then please remember me when you come into your kingdom.